0: This hour is brought to you by Cars for Kids.
1: With ten seconds to go, the Bulls will advance over the midcourt line, and this ball game is over. Bulls win. Bulls win. Bulls win. Let's dance in Atlanta. One thirty-six. One twenty-six.
0: Chicago. Yeah, Chuck dancing in Atlanta. Now we're back to the Usher halftime. Hey. And... I don't
2: know if you saw. Did you see the video? Chuck found him some sisters. He had backup dances last night. Got to be on roller skates, so. though. They were not on roller skates, but Chuck was in his element last night. Okay, Matt, props to him. I think they were Bulls fans, but he got he got like a <laughs> okay. group a group of women behind him, and they were all like, "Hey, hey, hey!" All right. They should travel with Chuck all the time.
0: I, they should always be behind him.
2: I I, I now him. I now think that that's he should just be doing that. Instead of the video just being him, grab a couple Bulls fans and, you know, party it up. Hey, would
0: you like to beat my backup dancers? Let's boogie. Let's party. The Bulls win. So let's talk to Cody Westerland about it. Because Cody covers the Bulls for us. He's the Bulls writer for 670thescore.com. He's also our web editor. Talk about having to deal with me. You think you think you should get propped up in the Let's rankings? Let's put Cody Westerland in the rankings, too. He's on Twitter, at Cody Westerland. He is on the score hotline that is presented by Circa Resort and Casino, CircaLasVegas.com, and Twitch.tv slash Chicago670thescore. CW, what's up? How are you guys doing today? We are doing all right. How about yourself?
3: Doing well. Doing well. Uh, I think we would all donate $100 to a good cause to have Chuck have backup dancers after every Bulls win. So yeah. I'm right there with you guys.
2: Yeah. And, and the video from last night is hilarious. This is great. I'll retweet it so that people can see it. Um, I was saying to, to Dan that I'm having a hard time figuring out what I should care about when it comes to the Bulls, because... I kind of figure that they'll end up in the play in and there doesn't seem like any real valid reason to believe that they're going to make it to the sixth seed. What do you think is important when it comes to
3: following the bulls right now? I think it's what you saw last night, Lawrence, right? Like we've been following Kobe white's development a lot. And last night was a night for Iota Sumu to shine with a career high 29 points. That's two straight games with five, three pointers. For Io, it's continuing a really good stretch over the last month for him and a good season. And it felt like the difference to to me last night was it wasn't role player status for Io last night. He was the driving force in the win and he's performed well as a role player for stretches of his career. Certainly as a rookie, had a tougher sophomore year last year. But you look at what to watch for in these bowls. I'm with you. It feels like it's just destiny no matter what for them to get somewhere between the 7 and 10 seed. And I will say after they beat the Hawks last night, the Bulls strengthened strengthened their hold on the ninth seed. I think they're clearly better than the Hawks. So I don't think the Bulls are going to get the 10th seed. I'm going to guess 7 to 9. But we've seen that before. What we haven't seen before is how many steps Io can take forward. So it's these young guys. I know the Bulls didn't make moves at the deadline. But when Pat Williams comes back after the All-Star break, what can he, Kobe, and Io do? And I think that's the most interesting thing. And last night was a really good sign for Io. I had a lot of fun watching him play last night because he flew up and down the floor and he really attacked the Hawks' defense.
0: He beats Trey Young. He is Trey Young kryptonite. Yes, he I think is. they've played nine times, nine times, and Io has won seven of those games, sometimes in spectacular fashion, as we know yep. last year how it's happened. I, why does he match up so well? Why does he defend Trey Young so well? Well, Io
3: has length. He does have long arms there for being a guard, and Billy Donovan has credited his stamina, too. And Mm -hmm. his smarts. So I know Trey Young still drew a lot of fouls last night. You get to the free throw line 12 times, draw a lot of fouls. Some of those were Trey flailing his arms. Uh, A series of them were also uh, Javon Carter fouling. But I only had two fouls last night himself. So he does a pretty good job, I think, of guarding Trey without fouling and just staying on the floor. And that's a really important thing. And again, like Io's played in big minutes, 38, 39 minutes last night, and it didn't seem like he got tired, which is saying a lot because he was a key player on offense. And we know he usually gets his points a lot of times, a good portion of them flying up and down the floor at full speed. So I think it's really just his smarts and his discipline. And Trey's always, I mean, we talk about this all the time, like how far can you get in the postseason with a small point guard when that's your driving leading force? And I know the Hawks got to the Eastern Conference Finals a few years ago before the Bucs beat them the year they won the championship. But Trey Young against those bigger defenders can, as good as he is, he can have problems sometime. And I think Io did a really good job there. And it, it's just a big credit to him.
0: Last year, Desumu shot 31% from three-point range. This year, 41%. Guess who he yep. gave credit to? I hope he gave credit to Peter Patton. He did. Just as Kobe White did. And what I find interesting, based on something Kobe said neither one of those players has a classic NBA jump shot. They're both a little quirky. And both have gotten better without changing the fundamentals of their shot. And there used to be a time where a coach would say, mm, no, 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 we're, we're going to break it all down. We're going to rebuild it. Good shooters don't shoot that way. And what Patton has done is that he has allowed them to to keep, I I believe Tyrese Halliburton's another example of this, where a a very unconventional shooting style and yet marked improvement. I think Ios. I don't know what you guys think. Tell me what you think. He gets his shot off a
3: tad quicker this year. And maybe it's because he's more confident and ready. But have you guys noticed that
0: at all? I, I... I don't know if he's getting it off quicker or he's just choosing to shoot it more.
2: I think that maybe I, he knows where like where his spots are and he's shooting and he's not he's
0: he is has conviction in I'm shooting yeah. the ball. Yeah, I, I I don't think necessarily his release from the moment he decides to shoot, I don't think it's getting out of his hand faster to me. His decision yeah, maybe. Yeah, I I yeah. Th- I think he's just just Looking at space, I think he is processing opportunity faster, if that makes any sense.
3: Yeah, and Billy's talked about this too because his shot is improved and like all these things go hand in hand. That has given him the ability to get to the rim quicker because now the defense has to respect him a little bit more and he's understanding and recognizing quicker i mean billy talked about this post game last night how defenses are playing him and in the past it felt like when you're shooting 31 percent last year that's obviously not an effective efficient nba possession those teams took away his straight line drives they took away his drives to the hoop and then Io was hesitant and sometimes stuck in the middle this year it feels like it's more simplified for him, right? When you're shooting 41% from three-point range and you have space, you shoot it and you're decisive. And maybe that's why it feels anecdotally quicker. To, to me, if those guys are up on you, you go hard to the rim. But the other thing too, and the coaching staff has cited this as well, is Io used to be kind of in the pick and roll, just if he has a screen on his right, drive right. And then if you have the edge, you go to the hoop for the, for the bucket or you kick it out. But now they've talked about how he's snaking through these pick and rolls. He's weaving in and out. And that's a whole different subset uh, of a player's game to be able to weave through a defense and reposition them. And he's gotten more confidence in that from, from what the bulls have seen. And certainly we've seen it a few occasions in how he approaches a game. So the pick and roll is such a big deal in the NBA. As you get more comfortable in that, it makes your whole game improve in different ways. And I would say, The caveat in all of this is he did it against the Hawks defense guys that I thought was just awful. I mean, it's bottom three in the NBA. I think we saw why Uh, they have personnel issues, and I think at times they have effort issues, and they don't currently have a good rim protector as well. So, Io did what he needed to do against a bad defense. Good to see. And now you want to see him build on it against better defenses.
2: Well, I don't know if this is something that you guys have talked specifically to Io or Billy about, but over the last couple of games, like, he's going to the rim with ferocity. Like, io has been a guy that he'll go to the rim, but usually it's a layup. Him finishing with a dunk, I I think, is uh, something that he's needed to add to his game.
3: Yeah, I mean, he had the ferocious dunk on the drive to the rim last night. There was another play. He didn't dunk it, Lawrence, I don't think. But it was almost like a one-on-three in transition. And, look, we know he's really good in transition, but that's kind of another another level to just go right at and through three people and to finish a layup strong like like he did i think that's another level too it's not just finishing strong It's that it doesn't matter if there's a help defender there. It doesn't matter if there's a second defender, you know, poking at the ball, kind of coming in from the side going, I'm still going to do my thing. And I think that's where Io has gotten a little bit better, too. Uh, Certainly, you can get out and just get layups that are kind of free or one-on-one over a smaller guy sometimes. But you saw it from the jump last night. Like The first buck of the game for the Bulls was Io gets the ball in the right wing and attacks Trey Young, kind of goes into his shoulder, creates a little space, goes straight to the rim. I think the Bulls' second bucket was Trey was kind of helping a little bit elsewhere. Io gets the ball in the corner, goes right at Trey down the baseline into the hoop as well. So right from the get-go, he was in the mindset of, I'm going to attack, I have an advantage on Trey Young. And basically, Io outplaying Trey Young is why the Bulls won last night, right? Like, you think Trey, I think he got stumped from the All-Star game again, but he's an All-Star caliber player. And the Bulls have this third-year guard who's been in a reserve role for a lot of time, starting here a little bit more lately, and he outplays them. You look at it, that's why they won. That's why it's a big credit. That's why the game was interesting to me last night. Why do you think it's not working in Atlanta? Well, they, they don't care about defense whatsoever at all. And the other reason I don't think it works is I just don't think you're ever going to win at a really high level with Trey Young unless you build a near perfect subset of of players around him and surround him with the right type of guys and they don't have enough good defenders look Jalen Johnson's a really good player for them I think he's averaging about 19 points a game he'll be up there with Kobe White in the most improved race Uh, so certainly they have a guy there but Sadiq Bey does not shoot well from long range whatsoever at all he's not an elite defender that spot just has to be that um for the hawks to have more success obviously they've had deandre hunter for years uh has played for them and also landed in trade rumors he had a really really strong game for them last night obviously but i don't think they've had enough consistency with him as a shooter and scorer in that four spot big forward spot at three sometimes uh whatever the case is whether they want to play him on the wing or or play smaller and have him be the four for them. And Trey Young, again, really good player. I just, I don't like him enough to build my team around. Like, I think it makes sense that he's landed in trade speculation because it's not working in Atlanta and it's just going to be so difficult for them to surround him with the right talent. They tried with DeJounte Murray and he's the right type of guy to put alongside Trey defensively because Murray can take the toughest defensive assignment from any team but then the problem is offensively it's just kind of your turn my turn back and forth. Trey young didn't move off the ball much last night at all if you saw it. So it's like when he's on the court and he's just standing there and a Bulls defender standing next to him, all of a sudden it's like four on four elsewhere and if you're the Bulls you're okay with that even though he shot 3 of 14. So I don't think he's done enough off ball. He'll always have his defensive weaknesses though many people that have watched the Hawks this year have said he's made strides on that end. We saw last night Um, even, even rookie second year, third year, young guards can take advantage of him when they attack him.
2: Okay. Another big picture, like NBA thing, it looked like the warriors were pretty much done. And now they're what won seven out of
3: 10 and five or six in a row. What happened there? I think, I think they're up to eight out of 11 now. And what happened was Draymond green's come back. He's been available And they found a good four-man unit uh, with Draymond Green, Jonathan Kaminga, and then Brandon Pajemski, um, the young guard they have alongside Steph Curry. That four-man unit's tearing it up um, in Golden State lately. And Clay Young's role has obviously diminished a bit, but they've still been positive when he's been in for Pajemski uh, in that lineup. But a lot of that has to do With obviously Draymond being back, but Jonathan Kaminga has taken strides forward, um, the big, strong, young rookie. I mean, he's, he's averaging 20, 21 points a game here over the last few weeks, shooting at a high level. And the Warriors system is probably the hardest in the NBA for any young player to come in and figure out. For any veteran player, too, who doesn't have experience with how Steve Kerr wants to play, like the sets are so intricate with Steph Curry, with Klay Thompson running off the ball. That's why Draymond obviously is so great with them because of his many years of experience playing alongside them. It takes rookies and young guys time to figure it out. I think part of this is them being healthy. Um, Having Draymond's availability, that's not so much health as it is behavior, and he's behaved better lately. But Kaminga, with more time starting to fit in, they find their roles. And Steve Kerr, I think, has been aggressive in making some changes. For them, So I think this success for them is here to stay. I mean, this stretch of, I think, eight and three, they've lost a couple games in overtime. They lost a game by a point. They had the crazy game against the Lakers in that stretch where LeBron got them right at the end. So even their losses have been really good. So the Western Conference is deep. And fun. And Steph is firing away again. Like we're talking eight and nine, three pointers, it feels like every other game at this point lately for him. So they've found something. I expect them to make noise. I find that to be really cool because anytime you got guys like LeBron, like Steph, late in their careers and they still have greatness, uh, it's fun to see them have a chance, even if it isn't their best team, even if they've lost a little bit of their fastball. Uh, it's awesome to see them playing at a high level and being a big factor in the playoff push and picture.
0: Cody, before we let you go, I saw that uh, Victor Weminyama had a triple-double last night that included 10 blocks. And once you do that, it means you're in conversation for adding your name to the very short list of NBA players to record a quadruple-double. How you, long's the list? Well, I got I got three of the four. There's only gonna, th- there's four names. One of them is a bull. One of them did it as a Chicago bull.
3: Well, I'm gonna go Hakeem Elijah on, obviously. Correct. Um, as a bull, now now you got me thinking, Dan. Are we going back to like Artist Gilmore or Bob Love days here? It's pre-Gilmore.
0: Ooh. But I just barely. Ultimately- you might have. You All might have to right. help
3: me out on the Bulls one. Okay, well, the um, others,
0: one, there were three big guys who did it with the the fourth category being blocks, and one guard who did it with steals.
3: Ooh, one guard who did it with
0: steals. Bob Cousy? Nope. Two of these players are did it with the Spurs.
3: Uh, David Robinson. David
0: Robinson, 34 points, 10 rebounds, 10 assists, yep. 10 blocks. And in 1986, Alvin Robertson,
3: 20 ooh. points,
0: 11 boards, 10 assists, and 10 steals. Jeez. The Bull, 1974, Nate Thurmond. Oh, man. 22 Dan. points, 14 boards, 13 assists, and 12 blocks. Have a game, Nate Thurmond. Do do we think Wemby could get a quintuple? I, double Well, it's, it's, it's certainly, if there ever has been somebody worth asking. Built to,
2: built to do it. Yep. It's him. I, I saw the a crazy stat on Steph where Steph had a game where he shot he made nine three-pointers. He's got 30 more games than the next person oh, on the list of people that yeah. have made nine it, three-pointers. That's wild.
3: Yeah. it's Is it Damian Lillard? If he's not second, he's like third on that list, Lawrence. But it's insane um, what he's doing lately. Like eight or nine three-pointers a night like is really routine for him lately. It's just crazy stuff. Cody, as always, we appreciate the time and the conversation.
0: Yep. You guys take care. It's Cody Westerland, the scores beat writer for the Bulls at 670thescore.com and our web editor. There's some very famous, august broadcasters in the building. They're and all wearing jackets. I know, and they're all dressed up in their finery. Are we going to talk to them? Or? I'd, I'd like to. Can we talk to some local broadcasting legends? Sure. Titans of the industry? I'd be fine with that. All right. We'll do that next on The Score. <laughs> Call from Mom. Answer it Bernstein and Holmes, your midday destination for Chicago Sports Talk
1: on 670 this score. Bellinger leads at second, Swanson away from first. And the 1 2, swinging a drive toward right center. Back goes Robert. Back near the stands. That ball is gone. A game winning home run for Chris Morrell. Can you believe it? Listen to this crowd.
4: You just never know. Morrell
1: with an opposite field. Three run. Bob, game winner. Cubs win the ball game. A dramatic home run by Christopher Morrell. He has taken his shirt off.
0: And oddly enough, so did Ron Cooper. They couldn't figure out what happened. <laughs> Exciting nights to come at Wrigley Field, and you will be hearing Cubs baseball on this very radio station, Sports Radio 670. The score, the broadcast team kind enough to join us in studio right now, resplendent in their semi-formal finery, the Hall of Famer Pat
1: Hughes and the MLB All-Star Ron Coomer on the Bernstein and Holmes show. Hello, gentlemen. Yeah, nice to be with you and Lawrence and Ronnie. Good to see you. Yeah. We're getting ready for another season, not far away. How does it feel
2: knowing that the season gets close? Like for you, Pat, yeah. do, do you still do you still get that that vibe of the, the, that shock of energy going into a season, knowing that the trucks are packing up and headed to Arizona?
1: Yes, I think uh, I start doing more reading more researching and I start writing down notes and I start looking forward to the first few spring games. And, um, I'm going to be doing a couple on radio with Ronnie and then I'm doing some on marquee television. And then the regular season, Ron and I and Zach are uh, ready to deliver as, you know, as many as 140, well, I think I'm doing 147 regular season games. So it's a, it's a full slate and, uh, we're looking forward to it Ron the team is going to be good and i think we have some good young players but i think there are still some uh uh we're still there's still some work to do i think for the front office between now and opening day what do you think
4: yeah there's no doubt it's it's an incomplete team as of right now and we've known that though in listening to both of you guys talk about this process we all kind of knew it was coming to this period of time before the Boris clients, the main guys, were going to sign. I mean, it's just that's when they have the hammer, so to speak, or the baseball bat in the hand like I got now. But. Let the record show <laughs> that he is
0: actually holding a baseball bat with his I, name on it.
4: Well, we've had discussions on hitting, Dan, so I thought – Might as well I would, it. But, that, yeah, that, there that's we, a so nice, we we high-quality bat. Yeah, it home with, is. Home with Mitch, bat, baby. It's that's got how we the roll. Coomer name on it, 670 to score. What do you think the chances are of this going up in Coombs corner here so real good today I think, I think you
2: should and the folks at home with bat do a great job yeah. of putting bats together so
4: mm-hmm. yeah no very good yeah absolutely
2: so so what about you Coom like do you like for you considering that you go from being a guy that was trying to make it to the majors you make it to the majors you have all of these spring trainings as an announcer do you still feel excited when the season starts to come back around the muscle memory kicks back in
4: it does I I, I, I look at it this way. I've, I've been going to spring training since 1987, right? So a long time. Um, I've missed one in that whole period of time, the year that I retired from playing or got kicked out of the league because I was no good anymore, however you want to describe that. But I, you know, that that's, I'm ready for the season to be over. If we're not going to the playoffs the, the next day, postseason, you're like, whew, okay, we need a little break. There's a lot of ball games. And then after the first of the year, I'm ready for the season to get started. I'm mm. looking forward to it. As Pat said, we start reading more. Him and I talk a lot more about what's going on in the league, but I just get excited. I, I love going to the ballpark. And I'm a schedule person, right? I, I always RG. have been. Yeah. The 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 having a daily schedule like you guys have to because of what you do. In baseball, we don't have to, right? In the offseason. I like that part of our game. And and so I look forward to that picking back up again in spring and going to the ballpark every morning
0: near the end of the calendar year we had one of our score video producers ask all of us what we thought the chicago sports story of the year was and i think there's uh, many good candidates for that for me the size of the craig council hiring that that story the audacity of the hiring the, the the surprise of it, the fact that there was some rumor he's going to go somewhere and it's a team that currently has a manager. Oh, my God, it's the Cubs. And here we are now getting ready to embrace the Craig Council era and it's going to change your jobs. Obviously, his mm-hmm. patterns are going to be different. That you, you 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 get used to the way a manager runs a game. And and Kuma, I know over the years the way you have been you, you think about pitching. I, I told you I had somebody mm-hmm. tell me this that listening to you broadcast now that some would say that if I said that you were a hitter and not a pitcher, they wouldn't believe you wouldn't believe me because of how well you understand pitching. And a lot of that is being knowing who's up, why that pitcher's up, who could come in, who might. And now now Council's here. You got to sort of relearn some of these patterns.
4: It's, it's part of your DNA, right, Danny? Since you know, since I was a kid, you're always doing a, your own scouting report, reading a scouting report on what the opposing pitcher is going to do to you as a hitter and the guys that are similar to you in the lineup. Well, I do that also for the Cubs pitchers and who they're going to face. So I, I think in that realm, that's just something I always look at. And then I think having a partner like Pat, who understands that that's how I look. You know, he sets up the game so well to help me be the best broadcaster I can be. It, you know, that's, those are things that, you know, as a as a position player, that's what we did. And, and then I have a partner who really helps in all that. And, you know, it, hopefully it comes across, and it's nice you to say that. But, you know, we try to, to bring some of that to what the players are thinking about going into the batter's box. So having watched
0: Council now and having, having yep. seen him manage games – and understanding the way he looks at leverage, knowing, hey, the game could be decided here. Yep. It's fourth inning, but I can't wait for the eighth. Do you think that's going to be noticeable early on in, in how he approaches managing?
1: It could be. I think Craig is just a very smart baseball man. He really is. He, he spent 16 years in the big leagues. Rarely, Ron, was he an everyday player. Maybe briefly with Milwaukee, he played every day. But primarily... He was a backup player, a utility man, great defensive player, good base runner. He could drop down bunts. He could hit behind the runner. Uh, he's just—he was fundamentally a very solid player, and I think he's a smart baseball man. And I think we saw that on the other side, Ron, when Milwaukee and the Cubs would play these last seven or eight years with Council managing one side and Joe Madden, and then later David Ross on the other. I said many times when you see these two teams play you're watching two of the best managers in baseball with Council on one side and either Madden or David Ross on the other and so we have we have great respect for Craig as a an opponent and it'll yep. be it'll be interesting to have him on our side.
4: Yeah, it will be. I've known Counts for a really long time since he was at Notre Dame. Um, And we've been friends, you know, through the years for a long period of time. He's got a very different team with Chicago than he had in Milwaukee. He was a a run prevention. I, I love the way he explained this one time. I listened to him talk. And he was a run prevention manager, right, in Milwaukee. Because you knew the with his pitching staff day after day after day with three number one starters in the rotation and, and maybe the best one, two punch in the back of the bullpen. If he kept the score down from three runs down, there's a good chance. One of his guys is going to run one in the seats and you win three to two, you win four to three, you win two to one. I don't know if the Cubs are that team. So what we're going to see is him evolve into doing something else. Maybe that, is going to be the way he looks at our ball club. Very good defense. I don't think we have the same pitching that Milwaukee did back then. Um, So we'll just have to see. But he will leverage the game in the fourth or fifth inning, Dan, to your point, if he feels like that is a situation where the game is on the line.
1: Speaking of pitching and Milwaukee, one kind of under-the-radar move took place within the last 10 days Corbin Burns, who has been an ace for the Brewers for several years, was traded to Baltimore for a couple of prospects. So he is in the final year of his deal before becoming a free agent. Milwaukee thought, let's go ahead and try to get something now instead of later. I thought that was a pretty significant move. It greatly reduces Milwaukee's strength. And I think, therefore, you know, by just, um, I guess, logic, it gives other teams a better chance to win the division.
4: Agree, he's one of the best pitchers in our game right now. He really is.
2: Pat, I just got a text message from a friend of mine who's a White Sox fan, like a crazy White Sox fan. And this person said, hearing Pat on the radio is so comforting. What's been your relationship with baseball? Like, it, now you end up in Cooperstown. I'd, I'd love to know how it's evolved. Like, your feeling about the game from an insider's point of view mm-hmm now that you've done this for as long as you've done it?
1: Well, uh, it's, it's a lifelong love affair for me with baseball. Playing as a kid, listening to games in the Bay Area with Russ Hodges and Lon Simmons, the voices of the Giants. And when you're a young kid, you think the guys that you listen to, these are the greatest announcers ever. Well, it turns out that Russ and Lon both made it to the Hall of Fame. They were two of the greatest announcers ever. And I think I was taking a course in baseball 101 from the time I was eight years old, listening to those guys every day. And the teams that they had were so compelling and so exciting to watch. Willie Mays, Willie McCovey, Orlando Cepeda, Juan Marichal, Gaylord Perry. These guys were all on the team, five Hall of Famers. The Giants had a pennant in 1962, but they were a contender every single year played an exciting brand of ball, and they had great announcers. So that's where I started loving the game. And then, Ron, like you, I was lucky enough to be on some championship Little League teams and Pony League teams, and that makes you love the game even more. And I just love being part of a good team. And now, as a broadcaster, I'm part of a very good team also with Ron Coomer and Zach Zaidman, and we're on the score And it just feels good to be part of a team now that I'm a a senior citizen.
2: What does that mean to you that you're that for someone now? Like those same things that were happening for you as a child, that's now happening with, like I said, this was a White Sox fan that said this. Right. But it's happening for all sorts of baseball fans that you're that voice for them.
1: I don't take that lightly, Lawrence, if that's kind of what you're asking. I, I take the job seriously, but I also believe in having fun. because. Being at the ballpark for me has always been having fun, laughing, enjoying the game, and laughing with your, your family or your friends, uh, taking batting practice, uh, laughing about a play that you're trying to make in batting practice, a diving catch. You know, you're trying to show off to your teammates. It's about laughing and having fun. And it sounds kind of corny, but it really is a celebration of life to me, the game of baseball.
4: To your point, Lawrence, when you get a young broadcaster come into our booth mid-season at Wrigley and they want to meet Pat, the look and the the just the way they... You know, there's a reverence. He's a Hall of Famer. But, I feel but, bad every you know, time
2: I see Pat. I look at him that way and I'm like, I'm sure he's like, I just, what's this guy looking at me all crazy?
4: Because I have that
2: same level of reverence for him.
4: I just get out of my chair and go to the back of the booth and come on down here and talk to the man. I know that's what you want to do. And I, I just get the heck out of the way because that's what I should do. Um, but it's it's fun to watch guys, young, young broadcasters, come into our booth. And want to ask some questions and get some feedback from Pat. And I I just, it's a great thing. As a baseball player, I did that with guys I played against that were at the top of the list, and now they come in our booth, and it's fun to watch. It really is.
0: I would be remiss if I didn't ask about what I think is one of the most fun giveaways that's ever been conceived <laughs> at a major league park: the Kooji sweater. Oh, yes. Let's go. Yes. That whoever, awesome. whoever and I don't know if you were involved in this or they just had to get your okay. Did they come to you and say, hey, Pat, you know that sweater that that's sort of that's sort of so ugly it looks great? It's that, awesome, it, right? That. We're going to make a version, a Cubs color Coogee sweater replica with a Cubs logo on it. It is Mm -hmm. known as the Pat Hughes replica sweater shirt day, April 6th. This is a. This is going to be a hot commodity in and around Chicago and beyond.
1: As far as we know. Oh no! Oh no! I will. I know. Yeah. You're oh, not no. getting out of that, partner. No chance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. That is now. That is not an exact replica. First of all, it's a fun thing. So whatever they want to do with my sweater or any of my quality garments is a quality with garments. Me. <laughs> there we go. It's a okay with me. But that is actually similar to a sweater that I wore for my very first Cubs broadcast with Ron Santo, opening day, 1996 Cubs and Padres Cubs won the game in extra innings, Mark grace a base hit against Trevor Hoffman down the left field line, not the right field line. And that was my first game, but I wore a sweater that day. And at that time, the sweater was only you know eight or nine years old, so oh, it, was a rel- oh, right, it was relatively new. Yeah, new garment. It was relatively new. At what did that Sano
4: time. say about the about your fine garments? Oh, he
1: didn't like it. He didn't like it. In fact, there there was another sweater that he got so tired of seeing it, he actually took it with him, stopped for some reason at a car wash, and left it there. And I said, "Why did you leave it at the car wash?" I just left it with all the other rags. He referred to my sweater as a rag, which of course it was, but that's beside the point.
2: Gentlemen, thank you so much for your time. We know that you have a lot of stuff that you need to do. It's uh, great to have you both here in studio to help us kind of kick off baseball season. And, continued success to both of you, and thanks for making Cubs broadcasting on the score so fun. Well,
4: and congrats to you guys, too. You got some some big news this week, so congratulations Thank to you. you guys. We do all right. Yep, that was really good. No, great listening to you, and great to see you guys.
0: Thanks, again.
1: You too. thanks very much, guys. This was a treat.
0: The Hall of Famer Pat Hughes, the former MLB All-Star turned star broadcaster. Ron Coomer, you hear them calling Cubs games on Sports Radio six seventy. The score. Next up, we have an abbreviated uh, high noon that we're going to do. I've got uh, an animal that's very out of place.
1: Next, Bernstein and Holmes midday, ten to two on Sports Radio six seventy. The score. I'll be back this way on Monday. We'll settle this then. Right there, out in the street,
4: in front of the Palace alone. Yeah, right.
0: When? High noon? It's high noon. We talked Bulls. We talked Bears quarterbacking. We talked about the entertaining postgame dynamic between Casey Johnson and his NBC Sports Chicago interview subjects and wondered what the next stages of that, the next episode will be. Apparently, we hate that, though. Right, I- yes. Yeah, somebody's like, what do you mean? Like, get over yourselves. It was just ridiculous. Good uh, interview here, Kobe. Cody Westerland joined us, and then out of nowhere, in came Pat Hughes and Ron Kumer to hang out. Pat Hughes to make us all
2: smile.
0: I enjoyed
2: what was happening this morning. I was doing my yoga, and I'm like, oh, okay. I'm getting text messages from Studs and Ray and you in our group chat. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? So I I finished like a cycle, and I'm like, all right, let me look at the phone. I'm like, oh oh, this is kind of funny. Someone who was in the Usher halftime show had lied on their resume and skated their way off the stage and had a bruised face. And I thought nothing of it because I figured we'd talk about it a little bit later on. And then it was like, it's a bit. Someone used this. So, Studs, can you explain this for the people?
3: So, yeah, apparently this TikToker, her whole bit is taking these viral kind of moments and saying she was the one and having this elaborate explanation for how it got there. And she gets, she fools a lot of people. So oh, this is the latest me. one. Yeah, this is the latest one.
2: Well, Ray, you you, you understand the, the actor's plight of having to lie about your resume. So you were like, oh, yeah, it totally makes sense. Yeah, my, my ex- my ex was an actor and had some similar stories. So I was like, oh, this seems like legit, like not similar stories that she fell skating in the Super Bowl <laughs> next to Usher, but similar <laughs> stories in terms of like, you know, I will I will say I can do whatever it takes because these jobs are hard to come by. And whatever it is, I, I can learn it within a week.
0: That has absolutely happened in major film roles before where people say, like, can you swing a baseball bat? And somebody would be like, yeah, of course, I played in high school. And it's just an absolute lie. It happens all the time. How did you get your first job here? I My demo reel of reporting wasn't actually reporting. There it is. See? And it worked
2: out. So now, this lady, though, she she's fooling people and she fooled me. Well, she's she, even got,
0: like, the black eye and everything. Yes. She did the makeup up. She did a good job with it. I but like when, when she described it, though, it actually came off like an actual anxiety dream where the the dream is, OK, it's the Super Bowl halftime show. You're part of the roller skating. Time to go. Ro- but I, I I didn't sign up. Yeah, you did. Here's the contract. Like, I can't roller skate. You told us you could roller skate and, and dance on roller skates. It's time to go right now. Go, go, go. You're on. Like that is an, I could actually imagine some version of that. No, you said you roller skated. You told us you couldn't. Now and, it's time to go and, and, on and, national TV. Go. And
2: if actors have a good enough agent, they're going. that agent's going to be trying to get you into anything and, and hit you up. Like, hey, what about this? I, there's oh, a quick opportunity here I, for you. I've
0: got a great example of this. I've got a great example of this, and this is true. Michael O'Keefe, Danny Noonan in Caddyshack, did not know how to swing a golf club. Oh. He told him that he did because he was a good athlete because he was in the slugger's wife and everything and that one shot of him with a nearly perfect golf swing that they show is ju- he worked and worked after he got the gig he went into like an intense training with a friend who was like, a club pro but he he had not really known how to swing a golf club, and now he's a scratch golfer. Probably, I don't know if he is or not. If that wouldn't, so there's some story about James Con in that regard too. Like before Brian's song, he's like, "Yeah, just show me once I, I can look like a football player, because they're and, and professional then he got actors." A, then he got a contract. Well, I mean, but that's that is. I read that in an oral history about Caddyshack in Vanity Fair that Michael O'Keefe was like, "Sure," and he's like, "Oh, oh, I better learn how to do this." <laughs> That is High Noon. We do it every day. Around... got to save my reptile story. Oh, my bad. That's all right. It's my bad. I chose. It's on me. I'm responsible. I'm an adult. We do it every day around
2: this time. When we come back, Dan's going to read some stuff. <laughs>
0: it's, it's, it's really clever.
2: It's, and if you're a baseball fan on either side of town, you'll want to... Be an active participant in the segment. You might agree with some of it. You might vehemently disagree. I I thought that the White Sox one was... You'll find out. We'll do that next here on The Score. Listen to
0: every MLB game live.
1: The deep left center field that is high, that is far, that is God.
0: Stream minor league affiliates.
1: The Midwest League home run
0: leader.